Good morning. How is everybody? I wasn't here last Sunday, so I didn't see the art gallery effect. So on your right, you have Picasso, and over there's Rembrandt somewhere, just being your tour guide for the day. Just joking. Um, we are so glad to be back with you guys again. Uh, I think it's been about a year since uh, we spoke here at City Church, and some people have asked if we could just give a quick update on what's happening with the ministry, because City Church is so intricately connected with what we do at Involved International. So just by way of a summary, uh, in the last five years, you guys have helped us put in 150 new churches in three countries. That's Eastern Congo, yeah, to God be the glory. Um, that's Eastern Congo, that's uh, Kenya, and that's Burundi. And then we just celebrated our 30th elementary school, so we tried to put elementary schools in on the church properties to make the church more missionally minded and engage with the community. And so, man, thank you so much for standing with us. Many of you pray for us. Uh, to God be the glory. He's, he's been doing some awesome stuff. I bring you greetings this morning from your brothers and sisters across East Africa. Uh, everyone in Burundi always says, please, you have to greet um, our brothers and sisters in the States. So please, will you receive greetings today from your brothers and sisters on the other uh, side of the world today? They love you and they pray for you regularly. City church is a bit of a thing when you go to Burundi. And if you ever go to Burundi, just start talking about city church and people's eyes just go because Pastor Matt has poured into people over there. And there are actually multiple city churches uh, that have been planted as a result of this city church. So we thank God that he continues to build his kingdom one local church at a time, amen? Uh, this morning is also Family Sunday, and most of the families that are participating in the camp usually come to first service, so thank you for being here today so I don't have to speak to an uh, empty room. It would be a little bit uh, awkward, but uh, we're glad you're here. You all look very beautiful and ready to be in the house of God. We are in a series which Pastor Matt kicked off last uh, Sunday, and it's called Becoming Family, all right? Becoming Family. And so my goal today is to try and merge two of City Church's core principles, which is mission and community, all right? And so to do that, we are going to look at Luke chapter six, and we are going to pick up the narrative uh, somewhere about verse number 12. And Luke is recording for us uh, some interesting um, observances of Christ's personal life as it relates to, I think, this idea of family, okay? So it says, in these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his 12 disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, as well as the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him because power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Would you speak to us? We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. This morning I'd like to talk to you about the idea of Jesus' family blueprint, all right? Jesus' family blueprint. 
If that's a little bit too, I don't know, not deep enough for you, not academic enough for you, I came up with a secondary, more intellectual title of ecclesiastical engagement for missiological and ministerial momentum. <laughs> but it might be a little bit too deep for the nine o'clock, so I'll preach that one at the 11 o'clock, so you're welcome to come back for that one. I'm just teasing. Are we okay with Jesus' family blueprint? Okay, Whew, thank God. I found a funny story to set this up. It goes something like this. A little girl asks her mom, where do humans come from? Her mom answers her and says, God made Adam and Eve and they had children and that's who we all descend from. A few days later, the little girl asked her dad the same question. Her dad answered and said many years ago, there were monkeys from which people evolved. The confused girl returned to her mother and said, mom, how is it possible that you told me people were created by God and dad said that people evolved from monkeys? Her mom answered and said, dear, it's very simple. I told you about my side of the family and your father told you about his. <laughs> now, <laughs> it's kind of a funny story. In this series, we are examining some of the characteristics of what it looks like to become part of Christ's family, all right? Notice the blueprint with me in Luke chapter six because I think it's really interesting to help us understand the implications of what goes into becoming a spiritual family. And it seems to follow a natural progression and the progression is simply this, intimacy, community, and ministry, all right? Can I say it again? Intimacy, community, and ministry. Would you turn to the person next to you just for a moment and say, intimacy, community, and ministry, all right? During the night, Luke tells us Jesus goes up on the mountain and he prays to the Father, intimacy. Early in the morning, he cultivates community by selecting 12 disciples who he names apostles, community. Later that afternoon, he combines intimacy and community into what we refer to as ministry as people come from all over Judea, Jerusalem, Tyre, and Sidon, which is now modern day Lebanon, and he begins to heal them, the idea of ministry. We can say that Jesus develops a spiritual family around him from a threefold vantage point of connection. There's intimacy with the Father, he's connecting with the Father, right? There's community connection with others, and then there's ministry connection with the world around us. Now, part of Pastor Matt's idea in creating this series is that he wants to do, um, identify some of the killers of community. Like, why is it that we as believers in 21st century America don't have such tight-knit community? And I think one of the greatest ones, uh, killers in becoming family in our generation, is connection with God's people without first responding to God's call to be alone with the Father. Or the inverse of being connected with God, but refusing to connect with his people. I love how Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. Look at what he says on the, this quote. He says, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. He will only do harm to himself and to the community. Alone you stood before God when he called you. Alone you had to answer that call. Alone you had to struggle and pray. And alone you will die and give an account to God. You cannot escape from yourself for God has singled you out. If you refuse to be alone, you are rejecting Christ's call to you and you can have no part in the community of those who are called. 
But now the flip side of it, he says, let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Into the community you were called. The call was not meant for you alone. In the community of the called, you bear your cross, you struggle, you pray. You are not alone. Even in death and on the last day, you will be only one member of the great congregation of Jesus Christ. If you scorn the fellowship of the brethren, you reject the call of Jesus Christ, and thus your solitude can only be hurtful to you. What Bonhoeffer is saying is that it's not either or, it is both and. It is engaging individually with the Father through intimacy as well as connecting to the community, which is why Pastor Matt is so committed to breaking down this series for us. So let's walk through this progression together, the natural detail as Luke lays it out because it seems to occur within a 24 hour period, all right? So it starts off with this idea of intimacy, all right? This is connection with God the Father. And Luke is going to tell us that Jesus goes up onto the mountain and he's going to pray. Now what's interesting about the Gospel of Luke is that Luke consistently identifies Jesus' prayer life for us. In fact, seven different times, depending on how you count it, Luke is going to unpack what Jesus' prayer life consists of. Luke chapter 6, 12, which we just read, is the third of seven references. What we know about Christ's prayer life is that Jesus prayed alone, Jesus often went and prayed at night, Jesus prayed with his disciples, Jesus prayed with his closest friends, Jesus taught other people how to pray. When Jesus was praying, the heavens would open over him. Before he would go into ministry, Jesus would always seem to carve out time for intimacy with the Father. The question, as I was preparing this, that came to me is simply this. If Jesus needed to pray, how much more do you and I, right? Now, it's been my experience that the problem for most believers when it comes to this idea of prayer is that we do all the talking, Now, what I know about intimacy is that if you do all the talking, that is one-sided communication, and if you have one-sided communication, there can never be intimacy. Just ask my wife. When she starts talking, and I go, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep, mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and then she asks me a question, I go, I'm sorry, what were you saying, right? And of course, that doesn't necessarily apply to God, because he always knows what we're saying, but I think we have to be very careful not to put the onus upon this idea of us exclusively pouring out our hearts towards God, but instead developing a model of intimacy that says, what is it that the Father wants to communicate towards us in the place of prayer? And Luke is going to be very instructive here because he's going to give us a passage that kind of unpacks this that has always been kind of a life verse for me. So this is Luke chapter three, uh, verses 21 through 22. Notice what he says. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, there you go, all right? This is Luke recording Jesus's prayer life. Heaven was opened. The Holy Spirit descended on him on a bodily form like a dove. Now notice verse 22 because this is critical to understand understanding what I believe authentic intimacy looks like. He says, and a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. I would suggest that verse 22 contains the three essential aspects of intimacy for any believer in developing a walk with our father. Okay. Number one, identity. Do you see what the father says? You are my, say it with me. 
son. Now, if you're a woman in the room, don't let that throw you off. You are also his daughter, right? The idea is biblical sonship that you have been adopted in. I think it's so important that we remind ourselves on a regular basis in the place of prayer what the Father says over us, that our primary identity must first and foremost be connected to the fact that we belong to a heavenly Father who looks out over each of our lives if you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and says, you are my son, you are my daughter, right? And particularly in a generation where everyone is competing for your identity, right? We have political identities and gender identities and socioeconomic identities, and we have to come back to the cross and remind ourselves that first and foremost, we are in the kingdom as sons and daughters, And then he says affection, right? I love this idea of affection, whom I love. I don't have time to break this down, but if you go to the Gospel of John, whenever John talks about himself in the first person, he doesn't use his name. Is it because he doesn't know his name? No, it's because he wanted to remind himself that he was the one whom Jesus loved, right? And I think some of us here in this room, if you're struggling with self-hatred, if you're struggling with rejection, you have to cultivate a place in intimacy that says the Father speaks affection over my life, right? And then finally, this idea here is affirmation, with whom I'm well pleased. And I love the fact here, Jesus hasn't done one miracle yet. Jesus hasn't taught anybody yet. And yet the Father is speaking over him and saying, ooh, with you I'm well pleased. So many times we go to the place of striving and manipulating and performance because we're trying to make people think that we're somebody better than we really are. But intimacy reminds us of these three critical components of identity, affection, and affirmation. And there's three questions I think that can help us here. The questions are, who do you say that you are? Who do others say that you are? And finally, and most importantly, who does God say that you are? And if at any point the first two are in contradiction with the third, then you have the wrong identity. And so we have to come back to this place of reminding ourselves of who we are through intimacy in our relationship of how we connect with our Father. Um, identity confusion is really, really common in our generation, and this is what I would say about that. If you don't know who you are and how the Father feels about you, you can't accomplish what you're supposed to accomplish in the kingdom of God. On the screen behind me, you're gonna see Pastor Adrian Chiza, one of my favorite church planters that we get to work with, and he thought he was a drunk. He thought he was a banana beer brewer, all right? That's a real thing in Burundi, and so he used to brew banana beer on the street corner and pass it out, and he would drink, and he would get passed out, right? And one day, he hears the Lord speaking to him, and he feels Jesus challenging him and telling him, I have called you into my kingdom, and I want you to go and plant churches, And so he reasoned with himself and thought, well, the devil probably didn't tell me to give my life to Jesus, and I definitely didn't tell myself to give my life to Jesus, so it's gotta be Jesus telling me to give my life to Jesus. And so he walks down the street to a local church, gives his life to Christ, goes to our church planting school, which Pastor Matt helped us establish in Bujumbura, Burundi, goes through the program, goes and starts a church in Gihanga, Burundi. It takes off 150 people, which for Burundi is like a mega church. But the Lord rebukes him one day and says, I didn't call you to plant a church, called you to plant churches. And so he resigns his church, turns it over to a spiritual son that he'd raised up, and he goes down the road to a place called Chibitoke. Do you know what Chibitoke means in the language of Burundi, Kirundi? 
It means the place of bananas. <laughs> I think God has to have a sense of humor that the guy who used to brew bananas is now planting a church in the place of bananas, but he didn't stop there. In the last 18 months, he's planted a church in Yeshenzan, Giharuro, Rubirizi, Binyange, Giko, and he called me yesterday and said, the church in Buiza is almost done. How many of you know that when you get a hold of your identity in the kingdom, you will be able to accomplish the kingdom assignment that only you can accomplish for the glory of the Father? So it's this idea of intimacy. And then secondly, I think it's the idea of community. Community, and I would suggest this is the horizontal, right? If intimacy is vertical, then community has to be horizontal. And we have a whole series like developed about this. Over the next month and a half, I'm really excited about it. Pastor Matt sent me a lot of his notes. Like, it's gonna be awesome. You don't wanna miss it. But I love the African proverb that puts it this way. If you wanna go fast, go alone. But if you wanna go far, go with someone else. Community challenges us to continually grow towards maturity in Christ and depth in discipleship. Luke is going to record three striking aspects about the community that Jesus deliberately surrounds himself with, all right? I think they're in your notes. I wrote diversity, okay, and accountability, but I'd like to add one to accountability. Just put a slash if you're taking notes and add sovereignty, all right? So diversity, accountability, sovereignty, and then the last one is religious activity, all right? What do I mean by all that? Let's look at diversity. Notice with me the diversity mentioned among this group of disciples. If you grew up in Sunday school like I did, and you used to sing the song, there were 12 disciples, Jesus, I will spare you my voice because I don't want you to walk out, right? But you often go through this list and you don't even think through like, who were these people? Well, there were brothers, James and John, Peter and Andrew. There were business partners and associates, so this was Peter, James, and John. There were those who came from opposing political viewpoints. Matthew was a tax collector, sympathetic to the Romans, right? And Simon the Zealot hated the Romans. Then you had people from differing ethnic backgrounds. Judas is a Judean, he's the only one that we know of. Andrew and Philip have Greek names, implying that they were from Greek areas within uh, Palestine. And then the other disciples are from an Aramaic background. I think the lesson is simply this. Community needs to be an expression of Christian diversity. If we only seek out people who look like us and sound like us, we end up with a single dimension of what Christ's fullness is supposed to look like in the body of Christ, right? I'm so thankful for what I get to do because I get to live this out and see this maybe a little bit more often than other people do. When we are in Eastern Congo, oh my goodness, you should see the passion and the determination that these brothers and sisters have. And when they worship the Lord, they take sticks and they bang them together and they go, ooh, I mean, it is, it is phenomenal. And then you, you see the Burundians and their capacity for suffering and their capacity for joy in the midst of like genocide. It, it's unbelievable. And in Kenya, the prayerfulness, I mean, people praying all night long and the Friday night prayer meetings and, and the patience that these people have. And then in Madagascar with King Julian, I like to move it. No, just kidding. But in Madagascar, you have the, you have the meekness and the humility and, and you put all this together and you begin to get this picture of what the global expression of the body of Christ is supposed to look like. And I'm so thankful that here at City Church, like God is diversifying the body. So do not be afraid of community that does not look like you because it is deliberate and intentional so that the Spirit of God can cultivate everything that he wants to release in this place for the glory of our Father, right? Diversity. Then secondly, notice that Luke tells us that Jesus chose Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. 
I mentioned this, I think, speaks to accountability, but it also speaks to sovereignty. Accountability because Jesus is giving him the opportunity to let community shape his character. And Jesus gives us the same opportunity. Community is all about the opportunity of you and I holding each other to the standards of God's word and the standards of Christ's character, right? But then it's also sovereignty because it reminds us that even Christ's community isn't perfect. Whoa, can I say that again? Even Christ's community isn't perfect, and yet God is still faithful to his purposes in our lives. That's sovereignty. Think about this. The greatest relational wounds that Jesus will ever know on planet Earth come from the community of people that he will handpick himself. And yet he doesn't run away from it or try to exclude Judas because he realized that Judas's treachery is part of the Father's overarching purpose and sovereign plan to take him to a cross so that you and I can experience redemption. Listen, some of us in this place have been wounded greatly by individuals within the church and some of us will probably be wounded deeply in the days ahead. I wish it wasn't so. But if it happened for Christ, it's probably gonna happen to you and I at some point. And yet this passage reminds us that God's plan is not sabotaged because of conflict or manipulation or even betrayal that can happen within the contours of community. And in fact, God uses other people's mean-spiritedness and small-mindedness to advance his ultimate purpose and to sharpen our Christian character. Sovereignty and accountability, right? Diversity, sovereignty, accountability. But look at this, because there's one other here. Finally, there's religious activity, or I could call this religious proximity. Within the community, there are some like Judas who are claiming discipleship, all the while living ultimately for themselves. Judas was entrusted with power to heal the sick, to cast out devils, and to teach on the kingdom of God, and yet, Unbelievably, he is the one who betrays Christ and commits suicide. How can this happen? One answer. He had plenty of religious activity and just enough spiritual proximity, but never really embraced intimacy with either the Father or the community around him. You say, well, that's just a one-off story, Steve. Come on, is it? Remember what Jesus' warning looks like in Matthew chapter 7, because this is mind-blowing to me. Verses 21 through 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And in your name, didn't we drive out demons? And in your name, didn't we perform many miracles? Jesus will answer, and he says to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. My friends, the danger of religious proximity and religious activity without ever truly embracing intimacy with the Father on a vertical level and intimacy with the community on a horizontal level. On the screen, you'll see Pastor Bosco behind me. I love this brother. He's such an awesome guy. One of our church planters, and he went from Burundi across the border into Eastern Congo. If you know anything about Eastern Congo, it's one of the most dangerous places on planet Earth right now. He formed spiritual community around him by planting a church. 
He identified soccer players because he likes soccer. He identified families because he's got a family with three little kids. He identified the business community because he likes to sell used clothes on the side. And God started using him and people started getting saved and the community started growing from 20 to 30 to 40 to 50 to 70 to 100 people. And you would think that everybody would be happy, but sadly many people in that particular area of Eastern Congo got jealous. And they convinced one of the people in the community to bring false charges against him. And in Congo, the axiom is true that you are guilty until you're proven innocent. And so he was immediately thrown into an Eastern Congolese prison. Anybody in the room ever been in an Eastern Congolese prison? (laughs) Trust me, you don't want to. And as he's in prison, he's wrestling and grappling with betrayal, wrestling and grappling with the sovereignty of God, wrestling and grappling with how could this community that I thought loved me be the very people that have thrown me into what seems to be a death sentence, and yet he refused to become the victim. Can I suggest today that if you're ever going to overcome the wounds and the hurts that you have experienced in community, you cannot let yourself become a victim. You have to remember in Christ Jesus, your identity is that you are a victor. And so he's in prison, he's struggling, he's grappling, and he just does the only thing he knows how to do. He plants a church in the prison. And so you see this other picture right here. This is at the end of February with 44 people, inmates, some of them guilty, some of them not, you don't really know in Congo, who who have responded to the claims of Jesus Christ and we're getting ready for a baptismal service. I talked to him yesterday and he said, we're getting ready for round two with another 34 uh, uh, new believers and we're gonna hold it at the end of May or maybe the middle of May and see all these people get baptized. Oh, come on, how many of you know that even when there's wounding, even when there's pain, even when people sabotage you, even when people make fun of you or say all kinds of ill and wicked, that God's sovereign plan is still in effect and God still has a purpose and the Lord can use no matter what has come against you in the place of community to advance his ultimate purpose, right? So we talked about intimacy, remember that? Some of you already checked out and forgot. Remember we talked about intimacy, right? Okay, whew, And we talked about, what was the second one? Community, three people got it. Man, I'm not doing a very good job this morning. What was the second one? Community, all right? And then the final one is this idea of ministry. And how many of you know when a missionary from Africa says finally and he's closing, it doesn't mean anything, right? I still got another couple hours in me, for sure. All right, I'm teasing, all right? Ministry is just this idea that I would suggest is intimacy plus community produces the overflow that leads to ministry. All right. This is the point of overlap where the vertical dimension and the horizontal dimension intersect. Now, unfortunately and sadly, we have done a poor job in the Western church, not exclusively in the Western church, but primarily in the Western church, about making ministry something that happens on the pulpit or something that happens on the worship team or even worse, something that happens in social media. And in many places, ministry has become nothing more than a a celebrity cult. Who can preach the best message? Who has the most charisma? Who walks in the most anointing? Who can lead the best worship song, right? And then we have our fans. Well, you know, I prefer, fill in your favorite, well, I prefer listening to, and you have this celebrity cult that's developed in the place of ministry, and what we do, and the danger of that is then you exclude yourself from participating in the very thing that Jesus wants to include you in in order to produce spiritual family because you let somebody else do what only you can do 
by letting them be the ones who preach and sing. And it's interesting to me that Luke presents a different model of ministry that isn't built on human striving or human charisma or human performance or even human talent. Instead, it's one that involves healing and kingdom awareness. If anyone in the New Testament understood healing, it's the medical doctor, Luke. So whenever I'm reading Luke and I'm reading Acts, I'm always paying attention to what he says about healing because he would intuitively understand these things. In verse 18 and in verse 19, when Luke talks about they were cured and they were healed in verse 19, uh, he uses the Greek imperfect, imperfect. And if you know anything about the Greek language, the imperfect just means it's something that happened in the past, but it didn't just happen one time. In other words, it was ongoing, it was repetitive, it was continual. And he gives us this image that Jesus continued healing, continued healing people. And to me, the, the, the image is one of a fountain of healing, right? As people are touching him, there's a flow of healing in every dimension, physical, emotional, relational, spiritual, mental, psychological, internal, horizontal, vertical. In other words, name the dimension of your life that is broken, wounded, or traumatized, and Jesus still has the power to release healing into your life. Interestingly, three chapters later, Many of these people who are being healed in Luke chapter 6 are going to be sent out in Luke chapter 9 to heal others and to announce the kingdom of God. How many of you have ever heard the expression, hurt people, hurt people? You ever heard that before? Can I suggest that what Jesus is doing is that he's flipping it upside down because in the kingdom, it's always the opposite. And he's sending out healed people who can heal people. What I suggest what Jesus is doing in City Church right now is he's bringing hurt people into this place so that they can become healed people so that he can then send them out to be healed people who will heal other people. This is the definition of authentic ministry. It's when you embrace this place of intimacy with the Father and then you surrender to the contours of community, right? Vertical, horizontal, and the point of intersection is right there where Jesus is doing something authentic and genuine in your life so that you can be a part of the solution of seeing healing released into other people's lives. Listen, we know this, but it's good to say it. Ministry is not about who has the most follows or the fastest growing church or the most anointing, or the biggest title. It's about seeing people made whole and empowered to live out the kingdom and then go and help others to do the same. On the screen behind me, you'll see our final uh, story from Eastern Africa today. This is Pastor uh, Jeremy in the uh, suit over here, and he's just an amazing guy. He actually planted City Church La Victoire, which in French means the victory. So City Church victory in a place called Kabamba, uh, Congo. And what's interesting about his story is that he comes from a family with uh, four wives and 28 children, all right? (laughs) Not his wives, his dad had four wives, all right? As a child, he's abused by a drunk father. His dad would beat him anytime he saw him because he's the son of one of his least favorite wives. If he would go to school, his dad would insult him. If he would go to church, His dad would yell at him. Sometimes he'd lock him outside. He told me many nights, he spent the entire night just sleeping on the threshold of the home because his dad was drunk and didn't let him in. He'd have to beg for food from neighbors just to stay alive. 
He found solace in a local church and ends up giving his life to Christ and this makes his dad even more angry with him. His dad wants nothing to do with him, excommunicates him from the family. And worse, his entire rest of his family, siblings, they want nothing to do with him. Life goes on, but the Lord starts doing a work of healing in his heart, in his mind, in his emotions, in his memories, in his engagements, in his interactions. And he receives a call from the Lord to plant City Church La Victoire in Cabamba. One day his dad falls critically ill, not that long ago, and none of the family members will take care of him in the hospital and the doctor announces that they're going to amputate his leg. Pretty rough. So Pastor Jeremy grapples with this idea of healing and healed people heal people and so he volunteers to go sleep on the floor in a Congolese hospital to take care of his dad. And his father is so moved by this demonstration of love that his dad says, I I can no longer object to the claim of Christ. And he receives Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And once, how many of you know, once dad gets saved, and so his brothers and sisters start coming to Jesus, left over right, and he plants this church. And I just want you to hear the uh, audio here for a second and hear what, this is their motto. Here at Tulsa, we say, uh, be the gospel, right? They say, love God, love people, love the city. And then they all jump up and give each other a hug. Isn't that such a beautiful picture of what I think ministry is supposed to look like? Of what I think this idea of connecting with the community around you is supposed to look like? And so I think the challenge today is simply this, that as we are walking through this series, be deliberate and intentional to let the Father speak intimacy over you. Be deliberate and intentional to engage in new dimensions of community and go outside of your comfort zone because normally it's in the place of stepping outside of your comfort zone that the greatest character and spiritual transformations happen in our lives. And then as the Lord uses that to release healing in your life, share that with other people because healed people heal people. Hurt people hurt people. We're gonna take time to prepare our hearts to uh, come to the table as we do every Sunday here. And we are going to receive the body and the blood of Jesus. And my wife Bailey is going to uh, meet me down here and we're gonna walk through this together. Would you just take a moment and just begin to think about maybe what the Spirit is speaking over your life today. Some of you came in here this morning and your hearts are heavy. Like some of you came in here this morning and there's been a lot of joy that's happened this week and both are welcome in this place of community. I attended church many years by myself once I really gave my life to the Lord. Uh, I was a teenager, attended, you know, I had friends and things, but I attended church by myself. So I only ever took communion by myself for many years. You know, they'd pass it down the aisle every now and then and I'd sit there. And so you're praying amongst community, but not really with community. I moved out of state. I'm from Tulsa originally. I moved out of state, attended a new church, had briefly met a family a previous week. We did communion one Sunday and they invited me to take communion with them. It wasn't anything extravagant. There wasn't any like life-changing prophetic word or anything amazing that happened in that moment, but it was so holy and it was so special and it was so sacred to be welcomed in by another family, to be prayed over, to be included in somebody else's family, to not just partake of the communion myself, by myself, which is holy. And there's many times I'll tell Stephen, I I need, (laughs) I just want to take communion by myself this morning. 
But I just, can I challenge us this morning? You know, there's family camp going on this weekend, so a lot of the core, like, you know, um, families with young kids aren't here. So that fits a different demographic this morning than would normally just be in the room. We're spread out already a little bit. It's kind of, you can kind of see the family units this morning. There's a couple, there's a person by themselves, there's a couple, some friends. Can I challenge us to invite some people into communion this morning? It doesn't have to become something we do every week, but I think it's so important to say, hey, I see you this morning. Can I pray with you? Maybe it's the people next to you, in front of you, behind you. Maybe it's someone you see across the room or you see them as they come forward to partake and your heart's just moved. Hey, I wanna pray with you this morning. Can we take of the Lord's body and his blood together? So we have some liturgy that we're gonna, we're gonna say this morning. It's gonna be up on the screens. This is just helping prepare our hearts. So can we say this together? For the weary, the table is our rest. For the burden, the table is God's embrace. For the sick, the table is heaven touching earth. For the doubting and confused, the table is God's mystery revealed. For the bitter and hurting, the table is God taking our pain. For the anxious and worried, the table is our immovable hope. For the divided and disconnected, the table is where we become one. For the unbeliever, the table is an invitation to take Christ. At the table, we declare that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. There's such a beauty in this. Stephen and I, have, like we said, we're connected to the global church. As we partake this morning, I want us to remember even those who are being persecuted for their faith around the world, those who take of the same body, take of the same blood. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it. He sacrificed it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. The same way he took the wine, I'm not gonna lift it up because I, I just feel like I will spill it like I spilled my coffee this morning. But Christ took the wine yeah. and he said, this is the cup of my new covenant, my yeah. blood that is poured out for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. I wanna invite our communion team to come and prepare the elements this morning. If we can, let's pray together. Yeah. Father, we thank you that you sent your son, Yeah. you made a way. Though we were undeserving, you made a way. Jesus, you sacrificed, you paid the ultimate price. You poured your blood. You paid the price for our healing and our minds, our emotions, our bodies. And Holy Spirit, you're with us this morning revealing the Father and revealing the Son. And we just pray this morning that everyone who's came in here weary, everyone who came in here hurting, everyone who came in here wounded even by community or there's a wound of even not being close to, to you, yeah. that they would find healing yes, this morning. Jesus. Those who came in with aches and pains in their physical bodies and it took all the strength they had to even get here this morning or they're watching online because they couldn't be here. There's sickness in their home. We just speak that your blood is enough to bring healing this morning. Yeah. We remember those who are at family camp this morning and Pastor Matt and Pastor Lindsay, the Moss family. We just pray for the staff that's there. We thank you that in this body of believers here, 
that we would continue to grow in healing, that we would be healed people who heal people. Yes, Jesus. And we remember our brothers and sisters in East Africa this morning. What a joy to be connected to the, the larger body of Christ globally. We speak your hope. We speak your strength and boldness over the church globally. We ask, Jesus, as we receive your body, as we remember the sacrifice that you made, as we drink your blood this morning, we would remember that we're not alone. We're connected to you, and we're connected to the body of Christ. I pray that you would move in our hearts this morning as we reflect on you. Thank you, Jesus. At your leisure, feel free to exit to the right, come down in your section, and I just, again, want to remind you to challenge you find somebody to pray with this morning.